Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I will show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and I am come into the world. Again I leave the world, and I go to the Father. His disciples said to him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and you speak no proverb. Now are we sure that you know all things, and needest not that any man should ask you. By this we believe that you came out from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that you shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but cheer up, I have overcome the world. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a faithful teacher of the Word of God for more than 60 years. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never Dr. Mitchell here on The Unchanging Word will be covering John chapter 16, verses 23 through 33. Well, welcome to this study through the Gospel of John. Continuing on from our last lesson, we will be hearing Jesus telling his disciples that having come from the Father into the world, he would now be leaving the world and be returning to the Father. The disciples said that they now believe that Jesus had come from God. But Jesus questioned whether they really and truly did believe. Well, Dr. Mitchell will speak of this time when the Holy Spirit indwells the believer in Christ, who is then able to address the Father himself personally. And then Dr. Mitchell gives a short overview of the present ministry of Christ for the believer as well. So join us here on The Unchanging Word with your Bible open to John chapter 16, verse 23, with our teacher, Dr. Mitchell. The day, friends, we come to you again, and we have been discussing together some of these wonderful things in this gospel through John, and we're in chapter 16. And I would, I would like to refresh your memory of what I said in the last lesson. I do this because I believe we're dealing with a very, very, very important subject. I have not gone into all the aspects or the ramifications of the believer in his prayer life, or the instructions in the Word of God with respect to prayer. But I have to confess to you that the time came in my own experience where this passage from John 16, 23, down through verse 28, became a, a revelation to my own heart 
In fact, it's still beyond human comprehension. Here our Lord is leaving his disciples, and he's gone back to the Father. And he's going to give them some resources of which they had never dreamed. Allow me again to read these verses. And by the way, I, I am not uh, apologizing one little bit for rereading these verses or repeating some truths. They're worth repeating, I believe, with respect to the heart and life of every individual Christian. Verse 23 says, In that day, that is now the day when the Spirit of God will indwell his people. You've been having this all through chapters 14 through 16. In that day when the Spirit of God comes and indwells every individual believer in Christ, the babe in Christ as well as the mature believer, he indwells every Christian. You remember we had that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and said, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the sanctuary of God, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Having purchased us by his precious blood, we become, um, we belong to God. We are his purchased possession. And the Spirit of God is in us, taking care of the possession which he purchased. You can be sure of one thing, my friend, that if you have put your trust in the Savior, the Spirit of God will see to it that you'll stand in the presence of God conform to the image of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God comes in to take over the possession which God has purchased with his own precious blood. As we read in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where the Apostle Paul advised the Ephesian believers of the fact that they were bought by God himself. And Ephesians chapter 1 speaks of the same thing. That having been purchased, having been saved, we were put in Christ sealed in Christ until the day when our bodies will be redeemed. So when I say in that day, he's dealing with the day when the Spirit of God indwells us. You have it also in verse 26. Now let's see what he says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, for the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I will show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and I'm come into the world. Again, I leave the world, and I go to the Father. Stopping right there for a few moments. I'm repeating this from my last lesson. Our access into the presence of God is on the ground of redemption. When you and I come to the Savior, or a little more explicit, when we come to the Father in the name of the Savior, we're coming in the very presence of God, who is our Father. And don't you forget this relationship. He's the Father. We're his children, purchased, indwelled by his Spirit. We mean everything to God. 
whether, whether you believe it or not, if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've become the definite object of God's love, care, protection, and faithfulness. He's my Father. I'm His child. He knows all my frailty, knows all my weaknesses. Same with you. But He's encouraging us to come into the presence of the Father and we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means we stand before the Father in all the merit and beauty and righteousness and glory of the Son of God. And again, may I say, the Lord Jesus does not take our prayers and present them to the Father. We talk to the Father. We make known our needs. We present our requests in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you have it here in verse, in verse 26, in, in that day you shall ask in my name. I do not say unto you that I will pray the Father for you. It's true that he is interceding for us in view of our weaknesses and frailty. That's the teaching of the book of Hebrews. You remember in verse uh, chapter 7, verse 25, where we read, uh, he is able to save perfectly all those who come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He knows our frailty, and he's praying for us. In 9.24, he, he represents us. He now appears in the presence of God for us on our behalf. He represents us. In 1 John chapter 2, the First two verses, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He pleads our cause when we sin. But he's not talking about that here. He's talking about requests. These are our resources. We're not coming to him now with questions. We're coming to him with our requests. And he's going to meet that request because he loves us. I see again, it's, it's a, it just absolutely changes your whole, your whole being when it comes to the question of making requests before God. Because he loves me. He doesn't answer my prayer on the ground of my love for him, but on the ground of his love for me. Oh, hallelujah. We can sing it over and over and over again. What a Savior. What a Savior. What provision. What a Father, what a God we have. To those of you who have never known the Savior, you've never taken Christ as your Savior, my friend, the reason you live the way you do is because of your ignorance of Him. If you only knew the Savior, you'd love Him. Now you may have in your mind the historical facts of our Lord coming. For example, even in verse, even in verse 28, you have his incarnation, you have his ministry in the world, you have him leaving the world, you have him in his ascension, going back to the Father, all in one verse. But you'll know nothing of his love. You'll experience nothing of his devotion unless you accept him as your Savior. His love for you was manifested at the cross when he died to put away your sin. He died your death. The wages of sin is death, and somebody must die. The wages must be paid. You can't go on striking. You can't quit the job. 
Either you bear your wages or somebody else does. And the good news from God to you is that Christ bore your wages and died your death that you might go free. You say, well, what can I do? There's only one thing you do. Accept what he's done. The gift of God, the rest of the verse, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then, having accepted him as your Savior, this portion which we're discussing becomes yours, becomes yours. Then you have the right to come in the very presence of God, make your requests in the name of the Lord Jesus, and because you are the object of his love, he'll meet your need. Now, sometimes a mother, in answering the request of her child, will meet the need in a different way than the child expected. Likewise with our father. You see, he is love personified. And what he does is because he loves us, certainly he's not going to give us something that's going to be to our detriment or that will bring dishonor to him or that will make you puffed up or proud or self-occupied. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's very love. Because he loves you, he will meet your need exactly what will glorify him and fill you with joy. That's what you have here in verse 24. Ask, you receive, that your joy may be full. You had that in chapter 15 when Jesus said, My joy I give unto you, that your joy may be full. Now, I've spent time on this because I want to get this right in your heart. Our access into the presence of God and the ground of the perfect redemption wrought for you and me by the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand before God in all the merit and beauty and righteousness of the Savior. We make our requests, and he answers our requests because he loves us. Now let me finish the chapter. His disciples said unto him, verse 29, His disciples said to him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and you speak no proverb. Now are we sure that you know all things, and needest not that any man should ask you. By this we believe that you came out from God. And even there, I question whether the disciples even fully understood what they were saying. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that you shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Now let me just stop here a minute. I want you to mark mark here. He warns his disciples that they're going to be scattered and that he's going to be left alone. Yet he's not alone, for the Father is with him. May I add to this? I know it's not in the text, but may I just suggest this to your own heart? Jesus said, Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. May I say also that the Father was with them? The Father was with them. They were scared, you remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and every man left him. And Jesus said to the crowd, you let let them go. Let them go. Let them go. You know, it brings to my heart something here that I would like to pass on to you. I'm not going to be dogmatic on this, but I'd like to suggest something to you. Do you notice that in John's Gospel you have no intimation of any separation between Jesus and his Father? 
You remember in, in chapter in chapter 8, he mentioned the same thing in chapter 8 when he spoke of the fact, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I came from God and I'm going back to God, for the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always the things that please him. Verse 29, 28, if I may read it, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, speaking of the cross, then shall you know that I am he. I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always the things that please him. Now in chapter 16, verse 32, tonight every one of you are going to run away and leave me. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. In John's gospel, you never read, as far as I remember, of any separation between the Lord Jesus and his Father. This statement, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, is never found in John. You find that in Matthew. You find it in Mark. You do not find it in Luke, nor John. Now why? Allow the digression for a moment. In Matthew's gospel, our Lord is revealed as the trespass offering. Hence, there must be separation when our Savior bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Likewise, in chapter, in, uh, in Mark's gospel, he is the sin offering. And so you have in chapter 15, you could say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Both in Matthew and Mark, you have separation because he's bearing our sins. You have God in his governmental dealings, even with his own son as he bore sin. And when you come to Luke, he's the peace offering. And in the peace offering, there's no separation. God has his part. The believer has his part. The priests have their part. When you come to John's gospel, it's all for the Father. He's the burnt offering. The Father hath not left me alone. I do always the things that please him. Even at the cross, even at the cross, he was doing the will of his Father. Perfect communion between the Father and the Son. The Father hath not left me alone, you see, for I do always the things that please him, and likewise here, I, and yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Now here is his promise of victory. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but cheer up, I have overcome the world. What a verse. Let me just look at it for a moment or two. Mark the assurance. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Mark the contrast, will you? In the world, tribulation. In Christ, peace. You remember in Ephesians 2.14, Paul says, For he is our peace who hath made Jew and Gentile one, having broken down the middle wall of petition between us, and so on. He's made peace for us through the blood of his cross. Colossians 1.20 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're no longer his enemies. In John 14.27 My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid the gift of peace. Now he says, in me you'll have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. By the way, that's exactly what happens today. 
I have seen Christians in the midst of terrible suffering and sorrow and misunderstanding and yet have perfect peace, perfect peace, perfect peace. I was with a Christian worker the other day in San Jose and the mission had a fire in the middle of the night. Everybody got out of the mission. And I saw him that morning. He didn't seem to be worried one little bit. He said, the Lord knows all about it. He had perfect peace in the midst of tribulation. See, friend, if you're, if you love the Savior, if you're joined to him, he's your father. In the world which is opposed to God, you'll have tribulation. There's no question about that. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, you have, if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. No question about it, you'll be misunderstood. And possibly some of the persecution will come from the most unexpected quarters. That may be true. People whom you thought would stand by you, leave you. He never leaves you. In me, you'll have peace. All oh, the wonder of it. In me, you'll have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. He's not talking about the great tribulation. In the great tribulation, the problem there is from the judgments of God. The tribulation of the world is through the judgments of God. Our tribulation is from the world, not from the judgments of God. See the difference? Now, in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's a fact. That's not just a, a theory. This is a fact. I have overcome the world. In Colossians chapter 2, 15, you remember, he speaks of the fact uh, of his overcoming the world, chained to his chariot wheels. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 to 15, through his death, they overcame the adversary. He who had the power of death, that he might deliver us who through fear of death would all our lifetime subject to bondage. In the world you shall have tribulation. In me you shall have peace. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The victory is assured. Cheer up. Cheer up. You know, sometimes we sing in back. By the way, one time I did sing it on this radio, on this program. Cheer up, you saints of God. There's nothing to worry about. And I got some letters, and I vowed I would never sing again on the radio. So I'm not going to sing it to you, but I'm going to give you the words of that little chorus. Cheer up, ye saints of God. There's nothing to worry about, nothing to make you feel afraid, nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails. So why not trust him and shout? You'd be sorry you worried at all tomorrow morning. I couldn't you start to sing it. I thought I better not. So cheer up. Jesus Christ says, I have overcome the world. Chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Chapter 16, the last verse, cheer up. I have overcome the world. Don't be troubled. Cheer up. I have overcome the world. Read those chapters through, will you, 13 through 16, and remember our Lord's last words to his disciples. In me, you'll have peace. 
In the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. My, what a Savior. Yet remember 1 John chapter 4, the fourth verse, which says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And in 1 John chapter 5, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. In me, said Jesus, you have peace. The only place in the world where you'll ever find peace is in Christ. It may be I'm talking to an unsaved person today. Friend, you're yearning for peace. There's only one place you'll find peace, and that's in Jesus Christ. The very first thing he gives you is peace. Listen to the verse. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My peace I give unto you. May the Lord one we bless you today for his precious name's sake. He was there all the time. He was there all the time. Waiting patiently in He was there. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.